at the New Orleans 31, down seven. I'm going to say this. Two weeks ago, the Jets, we kept blitzing. It cost you. If I was the New Orleans Saints, I would not blitz him. I would put the extra guys in coverage. going to take the undersell method and hope that in underselling it as people listen to the show they're pleasantly surprised okay for the first time in super bowl history this rule is being played in new york city and for some reason that means literally everyone and their brother and cousin and uncle and whatever cliche is very busy with all things <laughs> super bowl yeah so booking the Super Bowl Spectacular show has been nothing short of difficult. It is episode two of season four, January 28th, 2014. We came back last week for the first show of the fourth season with our good buddy Lee Jenkins and Mike Halford, who I have to apologize to again for calling Al Halford through most of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that does sound familiar now that you mentioned No it. real reason why I called him Al. <laughs> And I did discuss this with him. He says I, he thinks I must have been confusing him with Al Horford. I don't know who that is. He's a basketball player, of course. Oh, you know. okay. Uh, but as the Super Bowl Spectacular stands right now, we have... If you Google our, Al Halford, Al Horford comes right. up. It says, do you mean or whatever. And uh, yes. Basketball player. Must be who right. you were thinking. Uh, but as it stands right now... Richard Deitch will join us for his annual appearance on the Super Bowl Spectacular to talk about the Super Bowl and the media and things like that. I doubt, very doubt, very strongly anyone technically representing Denver is going to be on the show because we know absolutely no one from Denver. Really? We've interviewed one person from Denver and he's a hockey guy. Gotcha. So, but we got a lot of things brewing. And I'm sure we'll get two or three interviews up. I'm not worried about it. But as we record this part of the podcast, the only one I know is Deitch. Yep. And that was a sick, sick clip there at the beginning, by the way. (laughs) It was a good one. Yeah, I'm a fan of that. All right, let's get started. Three things. Let's play a game. All right. Count of three. One. All righty. I'll take it off. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. (laughs) This is the funnest night ever! (laughs) Did we just become best friends? Yep! Now let's move on to other business. So the Super Bowl is this week. If, uh... Believe it or not. Yeah, if you live in a cave. Blast football game until september and since my team's not in it and your team's not in it i think we said it last week it's a really really good one like as far as who i'd want to see in there it's the one seed versus the one seed you don't get that very often actually the last time we got that was the saints and colts super bowl 
Right. It's the last time a one seed. Was there Super Bowl the year they seed. both started like thirteen and zero or it something was. crazy? That's right. Okay. Yeah. Um. Today is media day, like you said, which is uh, a lot of ridiculousness and hoopla. For I don't know what the payoff is. Do you know? Like, there does anything ever come out of this? Really? The media well, day? you know, someone gets to dress in a wedding dress and <laughs> ask you know someone to marry them, and Kermit the Frog shows up, and yeah. Every stupid question you can think of is asked and answered over and over and over again. Do you have the Lynch thing as a part of another thing? Uh, not necessarily. I mean, I, I just, as part of this, actually, I was going to right. mention that Marshawn Lynch stiffed Media Day, essentially, which is pretty funny, I think. Yeah, he came in, sat down, I think they said for like six and a half minutes, and then was like, just left. So uh, the only thing that would have made it funnier is if he would have came in with some Skittles, just sat down with the Skittles. He did just sign a deal with Skittles, I guess, to endorse them. So uh, I wonder if he's going to show up for that. <laughs> I mean, you can't endorse something if you're not there. But uh, I don't know. The whole thing is pretty ridiculous. Yeah, Media Days a zoo. Yep. So what about the Super Bowl? I'm excited for it. I like we said, the matchup couldn't be better. Uh, on the one hand, Seattle's has been pretty consistently all year looked like the best team. And on the other hand, I don't know. I know a lot is being made about Richard Sherman, but who do you put him on? Like they've got four really good targets there. I just feel like how is, how does Peyton not win with this, this offense? This is the best team Peyton's ever had. All right. So two questions. If Seattle wins, why? And if Denver wins, why? Uh, Boy, I, I like I the same argument I laid out for how does either team lose really, I guess, is if Denver wins, it's because Peyton does what he does and there's just too many weapons on that offense for Seattle to stop and their defense play is just good enough. I I think the issue here that maybe tips it a little bit in Seattle's favor, I think they're a slight favorite, right? Is that I think their offense is better than Denver's defense. Like, strength versus strength, they're, they're pretty close teams, but I think if the other side of the ball is the weakness for each team, I I think Seattle has a... Their offense is slightly better than Denver's defense, particularly against the run, which uh, I think if Seattle wins, it's going to be a big day for... Mar- I think Marshawn Lynch is the MVP of the game, unless it's some defensive player. I would say if Denver wins, it's because they just kept knocking Manning down, kept knocking Manning off his spot. We see the... Seattle. Or Seattle, excuse right, me. We right. see the see the Manning face over and over again, and yep. it's just not his day. And then, of course, that's going to open up him to a summer of this guy's just not good enough in the biggest games. On the opposite of that, I think if Denver wins, it's basically going to be because a Seattle can't do enough on offense to keep up, and b because this is just Manning's year and. Nobody could stop them all year, and today wasn't going to be the right. day Seattle stopped them. So maybe that's oversimplifying it a bit, but that's kind of how I look at the Super Bowl. If you put a gun to my head, I'd probably pick Denver to win by eight or nine points, a little bit more than a score. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, I'd like to see that. Uh, would a blowout shock you? I think it would shock me, and it just it does happen in the Super Bowls. Not not lately, it doesn't seem like. but It would shock me if Seattle blew out Denver. Because I just yeah, don't think they fair. score that much. 
Right, yeah, I think that maybe that's another point to make in Denver's favor. I think if Denver gets up like 14 nothing, I think Seattle might, might be in a lot of trouble at that point. Do you know which two teams hold the record for the largest comebacks in Super Bowl history? It's a tie. Uh, I don't. Washington, who is down 10 nothing to Denver. Wow, 10 points. Yep, and New Orleans, who is down 10 nothing. Wow. To the Colts. That's interesting. Uh... What else in the Super Bowl? Are you interested in the halftime show at all? I couldn't be interested less in the halftime <laughs> show based on who's booked in it. And I don't think that they – we did this last year, I remember. Talked like about the halftime show? Going through them and saying, like, which one of these don't belong here, which oh, one of these okay. ones don't fit in. And I just don't see how Bruno Mars is this, a star quality level, you know, halftime performance. I don't know why. I mean, I, I know why. But – what seems like it would be a perfect spot here from probably the athlete's point of view and a certain section of the fan base, and maybe because they had Beyonce, but Jay-Z seems to be the perfect fit here. You're in New York City. Uh, but, I mean, I think the NFL would just be scared of that. The NFL is a bunch of old, scared white guys. They they wouldn't want. What about Bon Jovi? For the Jersey connection? I mean, the game is in Jersey. I guess that's the thing. you got to figure who are you trying to appeal to. Because if you're trying to appeal to the players, I think you're more likely you're looking for like a hip hop artist or somebody. If you're trying to appeal to the fans, and yeah, maybe Bon Jovi's perfect. You know, it's I don't know middle aged white guys watching the Super Bowl. I I don't I don't know I don't I don't know what they look for with the halftime show. I don't know who they're trying to appeal to because it always seems like they get people past their prime, like the Red Hot Chili Pepper. Maybe that's not fair to Bruno Mars, I guess, who's probably in his prime, but. I, I don't know who that appeals to, necessarily. It's, it's, I know his songs. I know I've heard them, but... Right. Yeah, I, I know him, too. And I don't care about them. Whatever. Yeah, he did the uh, he did the Victoria's Secret show. And that seems... Okay, that's perfect for him. It's right. some dancey stuff they can bounce down the stage to. But, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know how, what goes into picking. What do you think would be a perfect show for this? I think Bon Jovi would have been the perfect bon pick in this particular setting. Bruce Springsteen ultimately would have been the perfect of perfect picks, but he's already done it. Right. And, I mean, so I mean those guys th- still fit the kind of past their prime mold, though, too. I mean, not that Bruce Springsteen isn't still out doing it, and I'm sure Bon Jovi is, too. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't know who would be perfect for this. I just, I, I'd love to know what goes through their heads. Like, I don't know who they – do they turn people down? Do people turn it down? Uh, it's always a weird – weird mashup of people they have going there all right well i don't know how late you stay up to watch sporting events don but i know a couple days ago there was many a people crying that they just couldn't stay up late enough to watch nadal and federer play in the semifinals of the australian open and it's a good thing they didn't stay up because basically nadal you know he wiped the floor of federer and it was nothing necessarily against federer who had his age is going to need a lot to beat to beat Nadal right. at this point. But Nadal played his A game and easily won the semifinals. So you're thinking, all right, Nadal is going to win the Australian Open. He's going to get the first of the four majors of the year. And then he lost to Stan Wawrinka. Ah. In one, two, three, four sets. So we had a tennis he battled guy. injuries the whole time. 
uh, kind of ruined the match. He needed to get his back. <laughs> Nadal needed to get his back rubbed a few times, which I think is so tennis. Like, are there any <laughs> other sports where golf maybe they, they suspend play for the player to get his back rubbed? Although they shouldn't allow that in golf if they're not going to allow people to use carts because it's got to be physical. So, I, yeah, I don't know. That is the most tennis. Polo? I don't know. <laughs> Can you get a back rub in polo? Warinka had never taken a set off Nadal in his twelve pre- previous meetings. Wow. We had a we had a tennis guy on before. I can't remember who. Well, Wertheim is our Wertheim. big tennis guy. Right. Comes on all the time. I believe we had this discussion, but uh, he has Nadal as the best ever. I don't know. I I think that that Nadal hasn't quite captured that yet. I think it's still at this point Federer. Or okay, Sampras. Federer. Okay. Yeah, so it's just, but they're different time periods. You're saying Federer's past his prime and Dahl's kind of still in it? Right. Okay. All right. Uh, other games played outside. The NHL joined in the ranks of the outdoor games this, they love it. this week. They love uh, the outdoor games. Yeah, in addition to the New Year's Day game, uh, the Winter Classic, they are going to play, I believe, three more and. We weren't too sure of the name of this series, the outdoor. I thought it was maybe the stadium series. Stadium series, something like that. Uh, the surface got blasted by Marty Brodeur. I thought it looked good on TV, but I wasn't skating on it. Marty Brodeur is being a baby. Because they got crushed? Yeah. Well, if they had a 173. Would he have went out of his way to complain? I, yeah, I doubt it. I will say this. Um,. They looked good. Uh, my, my initial thought when I heard they were doing all these again, it may be somewhat selfishly or uh, hometown, like, thinking with my hometown pride, the Sabres-Penguins Winter Classic looked absolutely perfect. I was at it. It had just, a little, the best. just enough snow. It was an awesome event. I still maintain that it's probably the best Buffalo sporting event maybe ever. I mean, if you could say that for a regular season loss. Uh, probably, just such the, a really... probably the biggest argument you would get was the uh, Raiders-Spills AFC Championship. Sure. Uh, right, yeah, in the same stadium there. But, uh, yeah, so I thought maybe the, all these ones are going to dilute it, but they looked pretty good on TV. The and... one in Los Angeles clearly was a very cool idea. Yeah, for it was neat. Yeah, it was wild that they had to suspend it because it was too nice out. Like they Not, not because of temperature, but because the sun was too bad of a glare right yep yeah so i don't know i if they came again i guess i would go to it but i'm not sure how many times i would say that you know like how how many times are you going if it's today's weather you're going if it's zero out and it's not like a special game i i don't know it's a really cool idea uh one they thought was going to be bigger than it was because uh you were telling me a story about how they were going to try to set the Guinness Book of World Records record for attendance to an outdoor hockey game, which is currently held at the Winter Classic. The at the Toronto, Winter Classic, right? The Toronto game. It's currently held by where was that Michigan Michigan State game played? At Michigan, at same Michigan. stadium. Okay, uh, that is like a hundred and five plus thousand people. That was played in two thousand and ten, and actually, when my brother was being recruited by Michigan State, one of their big things was. Hey, you next year you can game? play in the outdoor game at cool. Michigan State or at Michigan in front of 110,000 people. How cool is that going to be? Yeah, that would have been cool, but uh, 
They didn't come close. The NHL didn't. To and did you it. say why? It's kind of a quirky reason why they didn't set it. No, I haven't said it. Uh, they agreed with Guinness, and I'm not sure how they did it in the Michigan game, but they agreed to count tickets scanned. Scanned. So not you know, tickets you, you give sold. up your ticket, and it's like, beep. Right. right. But because of the weather being as lousy as it was, people were took a long time to get there or just probably didn't show up at all. And they stopped scanning at some point, even though people were still coming in, like you were saying, like in the second period. So they they didn't make it. The NHL, I'm not sure how big a deal they made out of it. Hopefully they didn't have too much hoopla surrounding it because it fell flat. Uh, so I don't know. I, I like that the NHL is somewhat progressive in certain areas. I like that they try to do things. I like that they have that draft for their all-star game, which works so much better than the Pro Bowls, which we'll get to. I like that they do cool little ideas like that, but this one just didn't work. And I'm not sure how well the NHL outdoor games uh, will. I don't know how much the novelty will hold up if they keep having four every year. All right. Now's the time of the show where we make Don look foolish. Oh, good. We should have music for that. No, (laughs) we just have to play in the background of the whole podcast. We were talking earlier about how we hadn't done really any basketball all year. We pretty much shunned basketball. And I mentioned that I really want to get Luke Wynn on and do a little bit of college basketball because they've been having such a great season. So I pulled up the NCAA men's basketball rankings for week 13 of January 27th. Who is the number one team in the nation, Don, with a record of 20-0, and 0, receiving 63 of 65 first-place votes? I know Syracuse is one or two. They are two. Ugh. Ugh. Is it Maryland? It is not Maryland, who does not appear to be ranked. Uh, I, I'm not going to guess. Arizona. Uh, Arizona. Arizona is number one with a 20-0 and 0 record. Syracuse is number two. Florida is number three. Kind of an oddball mid-major, 21-0. Wichita State is number four. Another mid-major, San Diego State, is number five with an 18-1 record. So we're going to have to do more college basketball here in the future. My last thing this week is the game that I didn't watch a second of. I'm not sure you did. We didn't exactly make a lot of claims last week that we would watch much Boring. of it. Yeah, so the Pro Bowl, and I know I said I might watch some of the draft because that would be interesting. I didn't, and from what you tell me, it wasn't interesting anyway. I did watch some of the draft. It was an absolute snooze fest. There was literally players in the green room laying across the couches on their phones, texting, sleeping, bored out of their mind. There was no juice to it. Nobody cared. Yeah, Jim- see, that that almost comes off like that doesn't – I imagine they never do it again if it if that's how the players acted because then the players come off as looking a little jaded. You know what I mean? Like in the NHL one, the players got all into it. Uh, the first one, Ovechkin was taking pictures of uh, uh, what's his name from the Maple Leafs. He's, I'm drawing a blank. For enough? Kessel. Kessel. Because Kessel was the last player picked, so Ovechkin right. was kind of making fun of him, taking pictures of him up by himself. Like, the players had a good time with it. If the players aren't going to have a good time with it, then it's going to come across that way. I say this all the time. My favorite thing always with this, with the NFL stuff was when they used to do silly things, like the NFL quarterback competition or uh, the one year they had the Pro Bowl players like run obstacle courses and stuff like that. Like, that stuff is cool. Uh, the game itself and this draft are a total bust. Uh, they did play a game, took it really seriously. Uh, 
Justin Tucker was out there just practicing, it sounds like. Missed two 65-plus-yard field goals, and someone's team beat someone else's team by one point based on someone going for two. DeMarco Murray had the game a touchdown at the end there, 20-yard pass, I believe, and then Mike Tolbert pounded in the two-point conversion for the victory for Team Rice. Right, which, like, if you're in a Pro Bowl and you're not going to take it seriously anyway... But you want a coach to win, you might as well go for two every time because like, nobody's that interested in stopping a running play. I didn't see it, but you know what I was wondering? There is a difference in money between the winners and the losers. Oh, really? I wonder if on that two-point conversion, everyone was like, on the defense, was like, let's stop this play. We can get the extra Yeah, money. Maybe, maybe. All you have to do is try this one play. I don't know, and I'll probably never know the answer to that question <laughs> as long as the Pro Bowl is the way it is. So, uh, yeah, if you watched it, uh, you've got more interest in the sport than me, I guess. All right, we're going to take a break and get the Super Bowl spectacular rolling. Our next guest calls NFL football games for Fox Sports and also does the radio broadcasts for the NHL's New York Rangers and is very kind to be making his, oh, it's got to be sixth or seventh appearance on the podcast today, a warm sportscaster's welcome to the very talented Kenny Albert. How are you doing today, Kenny? I'm good, Steve. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being on. I know in just a few hours you are going to be over at Yankee Stadium uh, calling the second of two, right? Yeah, that's how it would work. The second of two outdoor games that the Rangers will play, one against the Devils the other night. They won 7-3, and uh, tonight against the Islanders. Tell me a little bit about kind of how that's been perceived, what kind of an event that is. Obviously, I would think it's kind of getting swallowed up a little bit by the Super Bowl being there, but you know the fans aren't always necessarily the same, and Rangers fans tend to be the most hardcore of hardcore fans out there, but... What is the buzz like for for these Yankee Stadium games between the Rangers and uh, their two tri city opponents? Well, it was tremendous, Steve, on Sunday, and I, I think the buzz is a lot more than many of us even expected it would be. It is Super Bowl week, of course, and and the first outdoor game at Yankee Stadium was Sunday afternoon, and the second one is tonight, the Rangers and the Islanders. And you know, the Rangers played in the Winter Classic two years ago, January of 2012 in Philadelphia, and that was a really fun event, and it was great to be a part of it. But I think it was even more exciting on Sunday because you had two teams from the area. So the, the crowd was, was pretty much split. It was 60-40 or 50-50, Rangers and Devils. You had blue Ranger jerseys everywhere in the crowd. You had the Red Devils jerseys and um, 50,000 on hand at Yankee Stadium. And then it starts to snow during the second period, so... All of the players and coaches involved, you know, even quotes from guys on the Devils side, their head coach, Pete DeVore, I thought was very classy after the game, despite losing 7-3, talked about how much of a thrill it was to be a part of the event and how it was a game that these players and and everybody involved will remember and and tell their grandchildren about. And and I think because it it went so well on Sunday and, and looked so good on TV, it boosted the ticket sales. We had, we had been hearing for the last few weeks that tonight's game, was not going well as, as far as the ticket sales, the Wednesday game against the Islanders. Well, the NHL announced yesterday it sold out. Wow. So there, there will actually be more people there tonight than there were on Sunday afternoon, and I'm sure it helps having the Super Bowl in town this week, folks who traveled in yesterday or today, and 
media members, I'm sure, will will be out uh, checking out the outdoor game tonight. So it really had the feel of, I don't want to say the feel of a Super Bowl, but but a feel, the feel of a really big event on Sunday. Did you and the fam get to go down there and skate a little bit, or? It's possible tomorrow. They were they were okay. supposed to have a media skate on Monday, and I was out of town. I was in Pittsburgh for the Penguin Sabers game, but uh, that was actually canceled due to the weather. So they they tentatively have rescheduled that media skate for tomorrow. So if if it does in fact take place, I will definitely lace them up for for about a half hour. You mentioned how classy the uh, Devils coach was. Not so much for the Devils goalie. <laughs> Well, Marty Brodeur gave up six, and it was the most goals he ever allowed in a game against the Rangers, which is hard to believe considering that he's played 126 games against them, including the playoffs. And I know he made the comments after the game about the ice, the worst ice he's ever played on. But I'm not sure exactly what the entire context was. If he was asked the question by a media member, how was the ice, well, then he answered it honestly. But if he just came out on his own and started talking about it, then maybe it's a little bit of an excuse. But I wasn't down there in the locker room, so I'm not sure exactly how the subject came up during the interview with Marty. You're a longtime New Yorker, obviously. An NYU student, grew up in New York, worked in New York. Sometimes when I think of New York, I think of Kenny Albert. What do you think about this huge Super Bowl event being there and how you think five years from now, people are going to look back at how it went despite the weather. Let's kind of leave that part out of it. Just kind of like the city and hosting the event and how people are going to uh, like the things that sometimes sour people from Super Bowl venues. Well, again, you know, we'll have to wait and see what happens with the weather, Steve, but having grown up in this area and and living here for most of my life for, for 40 out of 45 years in the New York area, um, just thrilled that, that the Super Bowl will be played here about 20 minutes from where I currently live in New Jersey. I'll actually be uh, half the world away in, in Sochi flying over on Saturday to get ready for the for the women's and men's Olympic ice hockey game. So, unfortunately, I'll be out of town. But I think it's great for the city, um, you know, the Giants and Jets, the ownership involved in the planning of the Super Bowl and, and making the bid four years ago. And I, I know they couldn't be more excited. And my, my feeling is, Back in the 50s and 60s, you had NFL championship games prior to the Super Bowl played in cold weather, many of them here in New York. And you still have the AFC and NFC championship games played in the elements on occasion, depending on where the games are, you know, who has home field advantage. And I think back to the Giants-Green Bay game in 2008, where there were frigid temperatures and the the memorable shot of of Tom Coughlin on the Giants' sidelines, and then the Oakland-New England tuck rule game back in 2001 in, in the blizzard. So... Those are very important games. They're one step before the Super Bowl, and they could be played anywhere, depending on who the home team is. So, uh, you know, given the elements in those games, I think it's great that you'll have a Super Bowl outdoors in New York. And I know the NFL and and Fox are probably hoping for a little bit of snow. You don't want too much. You don't want to put players and fans in in hazardous conditions. But uh, hopefully it's what we saw during the second period of the Rangers-Devils game the other day flurries you know for a little while and it'll make for great television and uh it'll probably be a lot of fun for those in the stands as well you know i think peyton manning after the fact it'll be a real interesting question to ask him because in his first super bowl it pretty much poured all day long in miami the second one the weather was fine but if there is a little bit of snow or or really cold it might be interesting to ask peyton manning you know now, given you've played a Super Bowl in the pouring rain and in the cold and the drizzles, you know, what was better? 
Right, and and his answer might be that the snow is better than the rain, you know, as far as the the grip on the football and, and the footing. So, again, we'll have to wait and see what happens on Sunday. But I think you know, as long as the game is played on Sunday and they don't have to move it to Monday or Tuesday, and and the weather elements aren't too bad, I think it should just be a tremendous event. Do you get a chance to call a Seahawks game or two this year? Uh, we did one. Our crew worked one Seahawks game, and ironically, they trailed at home 21 nothing in the first half to Tampa Bay. And I think a number of teams used that as a blueprint. Watch what the Buccaneers were able to do to the Seahawks that day. And Seattle did come back and win the game in overtime, but I think they were pretty stunned in the first half when they fall behind by three touchdowns. Well, what were the things maybe that Peyton Manning and the Broncos can exploit that you've seen firsthand in that first half of that game against Seattle? Well, for one, uh, the Seahawks turned the ball over a couple of times early. That was, that was a big part of it. You know, with regard to Peyton Manning in, in this game, I think one aspect that's kind of gone under the radar that I, that I think will uh, give him a bit of an advantage, aside from the fact that he has Super Bowl experience and has played in two and, and his coach, John Fox, has coached in two, one is a head coach with Carolina and the other is a defensive coordinator with the Giants back in 2000 against the Ravens. But one thing I think has not been talked about enough is the fact that Peyton has had an extra week to study. Now, all of the players and coaches have had that extra week as well, but, but I think it's a huge benefit to Peyton with, with his near-photographic memory and the way he studies the game. And He spent his entire career in the AFC, so we've only done four or five hour crew through the years uh, of Peyton's games, you know, all with the Colts before he went to Denver. We haven't done a Broncos game the last two years. But I just remember sitting in practice and, and sitting in meetings with Peyton, and, and you bring up a, a play that was run either in practice or the week before, and immediately he would say something to the effect of, well, as soon as I saw it, I remember that's the same play we ran against Jacksonville week four back in 2007. It's crazy what he retains. He's a, he's a coach on the field. He's a coach in the locker room you know, during practice, out on the practice field, and I think giving him that extra week to study the, the Seahawks will be a huge benefit uh, to the Denver Broncos come Sunday. So does it sound like you're leaning towards the Broncos this week then? Well, I usually try to stay away from predictions because, A, I'm never right, and, B, that's why they play the game, Steve. But if I had to lean one way, I'd probably lean slightly towards the Broncos. Not to take anything away from Seattle. They're a great team, and I love their secondary and the way they play, but I'd probably lean a little bit towards the Broncos for that reason. Having had a few weeks to look back on it, how did you think the crew did this year? I think we had a great year. Uh, seven years together with, with Daryl and Tony, Daryl Johnston and Tony Siragusa. Uh, we had a lot of big games. We have great guys around us on the production staff. And uh, hard to believe that it's been 20 years now at Fox. Uh, I think back to that first game often, the Rams and Cardinals in 94 out in Anaheim and 20 years in the books now. But we had a terrific year this year. You know, I, I don't just let me say this. You can just hear this. You don't have to respond to it. But Richard Deitch is on the show earlier, and we were talking a little bit about the Fox teams and, and how things work. And it it's just my opinion. It's full disclosure for Kenny Albert. I don't want you to get in any trouble here. It's just my opinion that it was somehow preordained that the Lynch and Burkhardt crew was going to get that playoff game kind of regardless. And I guess the question for you is, do you ever feel like – at the end of the season, what else can we do? Is there anything we're not doing right? Why is it that we're not getting that playoff game that we used to get anymore? Well, no, I appreciate your kind words regarding our crew throughout the year. And, um, you know, we were, we were very uh, fortunate and, and pleased to work five divisional playoff games uh, over the last seven years now. And 
The last one we did was San Francisco New Orleans, which was a tremendous a game two years right. ago a with four touchdowns in the last four minutes. So uh, we've done five divisional games. The three of us did a Pro Bowl together. I did four BCS games. Two of them were with Daryl. So uh, just very proud of, of the work that our crew has done through the years, uh, including those five divisional games that we were involved in. Uh, the first one was Seattle Green Bay in the snow, which was a lot of fun. And, and then the most recent one, like I said, was San Francisco New Orleans. One last thing for you, and I'll let you go. I know you got a huge day ahead of you going out there to uh, Yankee Stadium to call this Rangers game. And I probably should have asked you this question before the last question, but, yeah, what are you going to do? If Seattle can beat Denver, Seattle's the team that you've seen. If they can pull this off, what are the things they're going to have to do to be able to beat the Broncos? That's a good question. I think there's probably you know a number of things you can point to. Uh, their secondary obviously would be one, and you know the way they play, their style. Um, you know it's interesting, and it's spending so much time with Daryl Johnson the last seven years and hearing his thoughts on, on the Seahawks. And, and he made a great point when we did the Tampa Bay game about the way the game's officiated. Um, the Seahawks are so physical and so big in their secondary. The officials aren't going to call a penalty on every play. They're not going to. Uh, throw a flag on every play with Seattle's defense on the field. So if they establish early the way they're going to play, they might be called for one or two or three in the first half. But, um, you know, you're not going to see 10 pass interference penalties called. So it'll be interesting to keep an eye on that, uh, on the style they play if they come out and play that physical style right from the start. Um, and obviously, if you're Seattle, you want to keep Peyton Manning off the field. So uh, maybe you, you see even more of, of Marshawn Lynch than we have, and, and he certainly does carry the ball a lot, 15, 20 times per game, but depending on the score and, and the uh, you know game situation, you definitely want to keep Peyton Manning off the field, You know, like we saw the Giants do with, with Jim Kelly back in the early 90s when, when the Giants had the ball for over 40 minutes. Yep, Super Bowl 25. You know, Buffalo pretty much averaged the point a minute, but they were only on the field for 17 or 18 minutes. So I think that's a key, keeping Manning off the field, the style that the uh, Seahawks are going to play defensively, and you know, special teams is always that element that, you know, you kind of forget about. You focus so much on offense and defense, but special teams is a big part of it. And in the Super Bowl that Peyton Manning lost against New Orleans, we saw the surprise onside kick from Sean Payton at the beginning of the second half uh, for the Saints when they won the Super Bowl. So you wonder if either of these coaches has something up their sleeve. Well, Kenny Albert is on Twitter at Kenny Albert, and he calls NFL games during the season for Fox and also does the radio broadcast for the New York Rangers and is headed to Sochi, Russia to cover the Olympics. I assume you're going to be calling the, the hockey mostly there. Are you going to do some other events as well? or uh, No, it's only hockey, but it's men and women. We'll start with the women's games on February 7th, and then the men come over. Many of the NHL players uh, come over around the 7th or 8th of February, and they start up on February 12th. So as of now, my schedule is 18 games in 13 days once I get over to Sochi. So uh, not a lot of sleep. It should be a lot of fun. Now, we all know that anything but gold for Canada is just a complete failure on the men's side, right? If it ends up in a complete failure, have you, in your studies so far, is there a team you're looking at that's most likely to be able to pull that off? Maybe Sweden, maybe Russia being at home, maybe even the U.S. if Ryan Miller can get hot again? You know what? There, there are five or six teams, Steve, that have a chance. And, you know, Canada will certainly feel the pressure. Russia playing at home will feel the pressure to win the gold. The U.S. has a terrific team. Uh, Sweden and Finland, don't overlook those two countries because, you know, we saw Sweden back in 2006 win the gold. You know, Finland's had great success the last couple of Olympics. 
And then you have the Czech Republic sort of as a dark horse. So there are 12 countries in the men's competition. I think six of them you could look at as, uh, you know, the countries that are upstarts and don't have too many NHL players and, and you know, certainly will, will most likely not be in the mix for, for medals. But the countries we mentioned, uh, the U.S., Canada, Russia, Sweden, and Finland, I think you have to put those five at the top and then, and then the Czech Republic next. So it's not a lock. It's not a lock. And, uh, you know, they're playing on the bigger ice surface. And in the last two Olympics that Canada has won, 2002 and 2010, they were played in North America. This one's over in Russia. So, uh, We'll have to see what happens. The other thing is, you know, once you get into the quarterfinals, it's single elimination. So if right. a hot goalie uh, comes up big in one game, that's it. You're done. So it's not a it's not a best of seven. It's single elimination once you get to those quarterfinals. Well, Kenny, thank you so much for doing this, and uh, please be safe out there in Sochi. Okay, thanks, Steve. Anytime. Thank you. It's time for a new segment we've created called Five on Fantasy. With the first pick, Adrian Peterson, Drew Brees, Steven Jackson, Miles Austin, Leonette Ocho Cinco, TJ Pushmanzada. I once tricked my brother Greg into picking Roy Williams about nine rounds after he had actually been selected. <laughs> I don't care. I'm just trying to win me a fantasy football league. In what seems like an eternity for the first time in a while, the sportscasters are going to talk a little bit of that. Fantasy football as part of our Super Bowl Spectacular show. We're going to do two things in 5 on Fantasy today. We're going to give out some fantasy MVPs. I came up with a list of, or excuse me, fantasy awards. I came up with a list. Don came up with a list. Some awards are the same. Some are different. I think we're going to end up with all the same ones because I, I thought of an answer to the one that you did that I didn't. So. Perfect. Yeah. And then we're going to give our top first mock draft. I did 11, guys. I don't know if you I did 11 because of this. Right. 10th and All right. first pick. Perfect. So why don't we start with this year's stuff first and the easiest of easy for fantasy MVP. It's Peyton Manning. Yep. I mean, he had the most statistically brilliant season of ever, of anyone ever, and you didn't even probably have to take him in the first round. Right. You maybe got him in the second, maybe even the, even the third round. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that, I think that's a no-brainer. I also had Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning won a lot of leagues this year. Right from the start, he had seven touchdowns in the very first game, and he never really let up. No, yeah, I think that's maybe part of what goes into being a fantasy MVP is it's not an up-and-down season. It was pretty solid every single week. He didn't lose you many games. So uh, I know I'm always a proponent of not drafting a quarterback early because I feel there's maybe nine guys without a lot of drop-off, but I don't know. That might change next year because I think there's two guys that give you more than everybody else pretty much. All right, my uh, second award was for the fantasy bust, the opposite, and I tried to avoid people who were injured. And this guy was not that injured, and he was awful, and he was a first-round pick, and that's Ray Rice. Ah. Ray Rice is never going to sniff a first-round pick again, at least not in my team. He struggled to average two yards a carry at times. He may have missed a game or two, but injuries certainly weren't the biggest factor. Ray Rice, to me, was the... uh, fantasy bust this year see there's a lot this is the easiest category i think to argue i don't know if we'll have any arguments with any of our other categories but i actually had cj spiller if you go on the caveat of him being injured he killed you because it wasn't even like a season-ending injury that you had to account for he was just nicked up the whole season you almost as a fantasy fan and i guess even as a bills fan you would have liked to see them sit him for three four games and get right rather than rushing him out there uh, 
incomplete every week. I had C.J. Spiller. I had an honorable mention to Trent Richardson. He maybe deserves this more than anybody if you drafted him in your first round because he was almost unusable for most of the season. So I'm going to say Spiller, but if, if for me, if it's not about injuries, Rice is a good one too. I would probably say Trent Richardson was the bust of the year. I think the one thing all three of those – Three things those guys have in common: useless. Yeah, they're all three of them are useless. You almost, you mean you can't drop them because of who they are, really. But uh, yeah, they they had they had really bad years. The next award I came up with was best value, or I just call it best pick. Best but yeah, pick. we had the same idea, and I think yeah. this one's not arguable either. So we'll have to see. Josh Gordon. Yeah, absolutely. Josh Gordon is a guy who people frowned away from a little bit because he's suspended the first suspension. two games. Yep. There is many a fantasy experts, I don't claim to be one of them necessarily, who are saying don't worry about it, it's just two games. Yep. There's going to be plenty, but, I mean, he went off. You know, what's amazing is I ended up with a guy like Josh Gordon. Uh, I gave an honorable mention here to Eddie Lacy, but Eddie Lacy you were drafting in like the sixth round or the fifth round, not in the 12th or wherever you got Josh Gordon. I had those guys on my team, and it's like, how did my team – I had a bad year for fantasy this year. How did my teams do so bad? And – uh it was because I also had guys like C.J. Spiller. So I had some of the big guys and the bad guys. And you just can't bust in the first round. That's one thing. I would just never take a risk in the first round after this year. At your league, there was a draft pick where I needed to decide between Cam Newton and Eddie Lacy. I thought about it and thought about it and thought about it. And I picked Newton because I had already had the two running backs. Yeah. Had I picked Lacy and picked Phillip Rivers... A little bit later, sure. I probably you, you would have won that league. You might have been able to pick Philip Rivers up off the wire because you're not required in my league to draft a backup quarterback. I mean, most leagues you're not, but uh, yeah, quarter. That's the thing with quarterback, and like I said about Manning, like I never draft a quarterback early, but if you have a guy like Manning, or you have a guy like Breeze, you're just a little. It's such a solid pick, I guess. It's tough. This year was a really tough year for fantasy, and it's going to make drafting next year interesting. The last uh, award I came up with was best first-round pick, and I didn't really consider Manning for this because I don't believe he was a consensus first-round pick. I tried to stick with guys who were consensus first-round picks in most leagues. I think I had the answer to this one, too. And uh, it's Jamal Charles. See, I was going to go with LaShawn McCoy. Now that's, and that's a coin flip. And the only reason I say McCoy over Charles is Charles clearly had a phenomenal year but with Charles, you're probably getting him at what pick? Number three? Now, I picked him two a lot. Right. So I'm the only reason I would give McCoy maybe a little bit of the edge is because you probably got him at like nine or ten. Like his stock kind of rose toward the, toward end, the of end of the preseason. Yep. But if you had an earlier draft, you might have even gotten him in the second round, which would eliminate him from this question. But, yeah, both of those guys are a coin flip. And – uh We'll have to see our next thing here where we have them next Well, yeah, year. we got our mock drafts for next year, and this is very early, and we'll do this at some point with Michael Fabiano, and we'll do this over the summer and as we get closer to draft. But just at this point, and I guess the best way to do it, Don, is just read me off yours, and then I'll read you off mine, and then we'll kind of debate them. All right, my number one is Jamal Charles. Uh, I know we've said many times on this podcast, our love affair with Adrian Peterson. And I just think that his team is an anchor for him. And that's why I can't take him there. My number two is LaShawn McCoy. Uh, again, I, I like kind of what his team did. It looks like a team that rebuilt really, really quickly. And that offense is pretty solid and Foles looks good. So I'd rather have 
that type of weapon with support. Uh, my number three is Adrian Peterson. I think you can only not draft him for so long. He's just that good. Number four, I have Matt Forte. Number five, Peyton Manning. Number six, Drew Drew Brees. To me, they're almost a coin flip. Uh, Brees is probably going to throw more picks, and Manning's weapons are just ridiculous. What were the pick totals? I'll look that up. You keep going. I'm curious. Um, but like I said, the edge there came to Manning's receivers are miles better than uh, anyone on New Orleans with the exception of Jimmy Graham. Uh, number seven, I have Marshawn Lynch. Now, I know a lot of people uh, were worried about – he had a couple backups there, right? Turbin and somebody else, some some other kid. I can't think of his name right away. So this pick, that's a spot I don't want to be in. I don't want to be in that number seven spot next year, I don't think. Number eight, I have Aaron Rodgers. He, I think, is the best quarterback of the three, but he's you have to account for him being hurt. And that's an every-year thing with him. He's, he never plays 16 games. My number nine was Eddie Lacy, 10, DeMarco Murray. And 11 would be finally Calvin Johnson. I am so gun-shy about receivers now with just how deep it is. Uh, but I think there, I mean, you, you eventually got to get him. And at that point, you'd have your number one running back and your number one receiver. So I'd be okay with him at that last pick. Drew Brees through 12 picks, Peyton Manning through 10. Uh, really? Yeah. Um, ours are way different. I wonder if Brees' picks are overrated because he throws some ugly ass picks sometimes like we talked about this before sometimes he tries to do too much some of his ugly ass picks and this is going to sound like making an excuse for him and i'm fine with that are because he literally doesn't see a guy mm. because he's six foot yeah if he's lucky so sometimes well i mean even i mean i guess that said he's not going to grow so right <laughs> so he's gonna, still gonna he's have gonna some still ugly throw ones. those yeah all right, I had Jamal Charles at number one, LaShawn McCoy at number two, Adrian Peterson at number three, Jimmy Graham at number four with the caveat that it's obviously a tight end league and you have to pick one and start one, okay, which I think almost not a all of them are. Okay. Uh, number five was Matt Forte, number six, Eddie Lacy, number seven, Calvin Johnson, number eight, Le'Veon Bell, number nine, Marshawn Lynch, number 10, Peyton Manning, and number 11, Josh Gordon. Yeah, you're still shying away from the quarterbacks a little bit more. Maybe, maybe it's – the quarterback is so weird because anyone that does like the advanced stats on fantasy football will tell you that they're just too deep to to spend them that early. But, man, Manning and Breeze are so consistent. Maybe if I had to think about this longer, maybe Rodgers drops out of my first round, which would have been totally different this year. Jimmy Graham to me is an interesting guy because – and we both talked about this because you had him in my league, I think, and I had him in – another league I was in and you just, when you draft a tight end, you are, you feel like you are playing from behind the rest of the draft. And Jimmy Graham is, is a beast. I don't think he falls much beyond the second round or third round, but the no, other he's going to go in the first round. This you think year. he does? Again? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And you, you know what, about what we were talking about with being behind when I look at my draft last year and your League well, you had one of the most unlucky Graham. years ever in that league. The reason my team didn't do well was because of David Wilson. Right. That was the pick that <clears throat> sank me. It wasn't Jimmy right, Graham. Right. And if I pick, for some odd reason, let's say I pick Eddie Lacy instead of right uh, David Wilson there, I probably win that league. Yep. You know, it was second running back was the spot that just continued to kill me and kill me and kill me. Yeah, we had pretty similar teams, actually, except for you had a lot more success in my league point-wise than I did in the other league. But I drafted Jimmy Graham, and what killed me in that league was probably that Lamar Miller. And maybe that goes to show, like, you're, you're trying to pick a running back 
because you didn't take one in the first. And I was hoping Lamar Miller would be that guy. You were hoping David Wilson would be that guy, and it never really was. But again, it wasn't Jimmy Graham that killed us. If anything, in my, that league, I took Gronkowski like in the fifth round to play as a flex, and he just never came back early enough for me. So I ended up messed up more there. I guess you almost can't take risks in like the first four or five rounds of fantasy drafts. Let's say you pick the tenth best. Hold on a second. Tight end. This isn't giving this to me right for some reason. Yeah, the only thing I would say against Jimmy Graham this year, this isn't even a knock on Jimmy Graham, is I was looking at some potential rankings for next year. There's about five or six tight ends I wouldn't mind having this year or coming up next year. And that's the only – I think the field has just caught up to Jimmy Graham a little bit. It used to be Jimmy Graham and Gronkowski. Now, granted, he's still going to be the number one. In your league, how many – Jimmy Graham had 315 points last year. How many points do you think the second best tight end had? Probably nowhere near it because Gronk was hurt all year. I don't even know who. Oh, it would have been Julius Thomas. It was, he was third, but by a milliscule of a point. So, yeah, the, him and someone else are basically tied. Right. I, I would guess they were about 50 points behind him. 220, almost 100 points wow. behind him. And let's say you decided to pick the 10th best tight end. Let's say you said, forget Jimmy Graham. I'm going to wait. I'm going to pick the 10th best guy. That's always Matthew Barry's thought. If I'm not getting the first guy or two, I'm taking the last That was one. Martellus Bennett who had 170 points to Jimmy Graham's 315. The no, that's a 12-team league. Well, you said the 10th guy, but I imagine guy. the 10th guy and 12th guy are basically the same. So you said how many points? 315 to, if you want the 12th guy, 150. 150. So 165 divided by 16 weeks. That's a 10-point But it's advantage. not 16. It's 13. Do they? I know, but do they stop on that site? That's the only thing I don't know about. If they, oh, yeah, I don't know either, so you better do So 16. probably about 10. Yeah. You know what? That's the type of stuff that makes me really want to pick them. It's just running back is so shallow, and I think it's going to get worse next year, not better. So I think if I can't draft Charles, McCoy, or Peterson, and I'm up, those three guys are gone, I'm probably picking Graham. You know what? I don't have him on there, but, I mean, you make a really compelling argument for it. Yeah, I mean, it'll be fun next year again because, like I said, I don't think the running backs got any deeper this year. I mean, there's some guys like Lacey out there now and Giovanni Bernard, but he still didn't get many touches. So. Is there any guy that you'll never pick again um, after this year? It's going to be real interesting to see what like Ray Rice and C.J. Spiller do because where does Spiller get drafted next year? It's not going to be the first round. Fourth or fifth? Third or fourth. And someone might get a ton of value there. So is there anyone I'm never going to draft again? Ray Rice, maybe. But I think his I think his value will be adjusted accordingly. He's not you're not going to have to take him in the first. Probably so. last pick in the draft, still available. David Wilson's going to be a pass for me. Well, yeah. Unless he doesn't play for the Giants. Right, because that coach Because the Giants just insist on humiliating him and making sure that he's mind fucked forever. Yeah, I've I've always hated that coach. All right, let's keep the Super Bowl spectacular show going. Our next guest is from East Grand Rapids, Michigan, and is a graduate of the University of Michigan. He writes for the Audible's blog on Sports Illustrated and has several times appeared on the Sportscasters. A warm welcome to the very talented Chris Burke. What's going on, Chris? Hey, not uh, too much. Just taking a little breather here from the uh, 
Super Bowl week festivities. So uh, good to talk to you again. Are you in New York or are you home? Yeah, or? yeah, I'm here. I, no, I uh, got in on uh, Sunday afternoon, and uh, it's been <laughs> pretty nonstop since Monday morning. So, what's this? Uh, what's the scene kind of like down there? And how does it compare you know, to other Super Bowl cities? It's really, it's actually totally different. I was talking with uh, a couple people about it today. Uh, Kimberly Martin, who writes out here in New York, um, and I were chatting. Uh, you know, in Indianapolis and even in New Orleans, um, you know, when the Super Bowl was going on, it was obviously a huge deal, and you couldn't really go anywhere without, uh, you know, seeing some sort of Super Bowl sign or some activity going on and here it's <laughs> i don't know if it's because it's new york and there's so much happening or because the game's not actually here and the press conferences aren't actually here but uh so far it's sort of just like another thing that's happening <laughs> there's not a whole lot of of noticeable buzz outside of uh the media hotels and uh, the uh, team hotels how do you get around mostly do you subway it do you taxi it do you walk it <laughs> Uh, last night I went up, uh, to New Jersey and did the subway and then a path in New Jersey. Um, and then, uh, we have, uh, media shuttles that go out from the media hotel to all the press conferences and all that sort of thing. Um, there's an early one that is police escorted on the way out. And then we've been getting police escorts back too, which obviously is extremely nice and convenient, uh, to get through the New York traffic so um i've been trying to use those as much as possible since they're they're here and <laughs> available now going into the week it seemed going into the previous week now this week it seemed like this this super bowl would be so focused on richard sherman and everything that happened with him and then obviously anytime peyton manning is involved in one of these games so much of it is about him. Are there any other kind of story angles that you've been kind of focusing on, looking in on? Any other things that you want to kind of focus on as as you write and prepare for the Super Bowl on Sunday? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think Marshawn Lynch now has become a big story here because he's doesn't want to talk. Sort to of ignoring the media, right. uh, which you know isn't a big deal for me, but certainly has become a huge. Uh, issue. Um, I think mostly because there's just, uh, as far as storylines go, you know, there's sort of the basic football, like X's and O's, number one offense versus number one defense, and uh, Champ Bailey playing in the Super Bowl after his long career, and Wes Welker trying to get a win in the Super Bowl, but, um, you know, I don't know that these teams in this matchup necessarily jumps off the page like Giants, Patriots, or something like that. Um, so it's been, uh, I think it's probably been a little tougher to find um, those obvious storylines, and I think that's why the Marshawn Lynch thing has become such a fiasco already. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I think if you appreciate football, and like I said, the X's and O's of it, this is about as uh, intriguing a game as you're going to get. You know, what? one storyline I want to bounce off of you, and I'm not going to call it Hogan Andre because it's not quite that big. But to me, this is like the ultimate bad guy versus good guy Super Bowl. Just to me, the Seahawks play the role of WWF villain to a T, whether it's Marshawn Lynch refusing to talk to anyone or Richard Sherman cutting a 
promo right at the end of the game or uh, just so much about them to me is unlikable if they're not your guys you know and then there's someone like Peyton Manning who comes off as the oh shucks you know kind of guy it just really feels to me like this kind of Wrestlemania main event where the good guy is going to face the bad guy yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I think there are some guys. You know, Russell Wilson, I think, is a very likable guy. Right, Russell Wilson kills a, that theory for sure. A big personality, you know. Um, I, I think Pete Carroll kind of falls in that same category you were mentioning, too, because I think the Seahawks and their fans obviously love him, but he he uh, doesn't have a great reputation and, oh, you know, with the Jets, New England, yeah. uh, college ball. People hate him uh, outside of what he did at USC. I mean, so I think, yeah, I definitely could see that angle. I mean, like I said, I think there are, I think Russell Wilson kind of brings you back the other way. And, uh, you know, I think there are, uh, for as great as Peyton Manning is, I also think that there probably will be plenty of people rooting against him in the Super Bowl. Um, so, I, you know, I, I don't know that it, uh, it's tough because I don't know that there's also, that feel of like huge favorite versus an underdog, you know, it's a pretty even matchup too. So it's harder, I think, to kind of draw out the hate, you know, the bad guy versus good guy angle on it. Um, So, I I mean, I think it's certainly there and we've seen, um, guess that Marshawn Lynch has become a huge story. I mean, I think the Richard Sherman anger is pretty misplaced (laughs) overall. Um, uh, You know, his press conference, at media day, I thought was a great, uh, you know, for people that watched it was sort of a great representation of him. Cause you got kind of the full gamut of, of, uh, you know, what he is like as a guy. And I think a lot of people have that, uh, sort of got the wrong impression, I think, because of what happened with Aaron Andrews. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think there's certainly a little bit of that, uh, Angle, you mentioned, and the Seahawks kind of thrive on that. I think the fans have sort of insulated themselves. You know, the 12th man idea, I think they're their own little entity now out in Seattle where they uh, have that kind of us-against-the-world mentality. I'm going to sound bitter Saints fan here a little bit when talking <laughs> about the Seahawks, okay? they mm, The Saints missed two field goals. Mark Ingram handed them a touchdown. And basically for 90% of the game, the Seahawks just didn't do anything. Now, offensively, defensively, they're fantastic, and they did plenty to frustrate Drew Brees and to slow the Saints' offense down, and certainly that's part of it. But are they going to be able to play a game where they don't do all that much on offense? Is the defense going to be able to do on a neutral field to Peyton Manning what they did in their unbelievable stadium to Drew Brees and to the Saints offense? Uh, I mean, I, I think if they don't, they're going to lose. Because I, I don't know that, uh, you know, the Denver defense is, it's banged up and it's sort of a, a mishmash of guys back there. You know, it's not, uh, you know, Von Miller's gone, Chris Harris is gone. It's not exactly what they set into the season thinking they're going to have. Um, but it's playing really well right now, and they've been solid against the run lately, so that's obviously a huge part of Seattle's game. Uh, and, you know, for as talented as Russell Wilson is, it's not a great passing game, and they don't have, you know, certainly on paper the Broncos wide receivers look more imposing than the Seahawks wide receivers do. So I think if you get into that 
you know, high 20s, low 30s. I mean, I think if you get up there, that certainly would, I mean, personally, I would expect the Broncos to win a game that goes like that. I think it's pretty important for the Seahawks to keep it, you know, low 20s, even in the teens if possible. And yeah, I think that's why people have said so much. Obviously, the focus on the weather is because we're outside in New York for the first time. But I think in terms of the game, it's it's huge too because if the conditions deteriorate. It definitely favors Seattle, and I think um, you know I'd be surprised if they can do to Manning and that offense what they they did to Breeze and the Saints twice. But uh, <laughs> you know, I don't know that I'd put it past them either. You know, I was just thinking about Richard Sherman a little bit and. The thing about him and how how great he is, let's just say for fun that he just says, all right, I'm going to cover Demarius Thomas every play, and Demarius Thomas isn't going to catch a pass. Is the rest of the defense good enough to make sure that Peyton Manning doesn't pick them apart to the Deckers and to the Welkers and to the Thomases and with the running backs? I, I know that taking Demarius Thomas out of the game is an impact, but... Is that a big enough impact for Richard Sherman really to be a star in this game? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. And I think that Denver will uh, be sort of cautious that when they go at him because there are, you know, the, there are some weak spots, I think, in that secondary. And uh, really, to me, I think the key is probably going to be how much pressure they get on Peyton up front. You know, if he's able to sit there and sort of do his thing and get through his reads and, you know they're able to run those those long sort of drawn out quote unquote pick plays like we saw with Welker on uh, Akib Talib in the AFC Championship game. I mean, if they can get those sort of plays off uh, without problems, then it's going to be tough because uh, you know some of those routes where they kind of run off defenders, you know, even for Richard Sherman, is going to be tough if he's man to man crossing the field through traffic. I mean, I, I think that there are ways for Denver to attack him. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, it's not as good of a Seattle secondary as it was at the start of the year. They had injuries. They had multiple suspensions there. You know, Brandon Browner still gone. Um, so I think that they, uh, like I said, if they can't get to Peyton and at least make him uncomfortable, it's going to be tough to slow him down because there's enough guys there and, and you mentioned the run game, too. I think it's an underrated part of that Denver offense, both specifically as a run game, but also both Moreno and Moneyball can come out of the backfield and make Catch, catches, too. Yeah. So that puts more pressure on the linebackers and all those sorts of things. So, um, you know, I think the opportunities, Sherman will probably have a couple chances to make big plays, but I don't, you know, if they throw at him directly more than three or four times, I'd be surprised. You sort of made this, and it might be kind of a amateurish point by me, but basically the, Bron- the Broncos want to play this game on their terms, and if they do, it, it's almost impossible for the Seahawks to win. And if the Seahawks can get this game played on their terms, it's going to be very, very difficult for, for, the, uh, for the Broncos to win. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's probably true. and I, I mean... I- it's tough because you probably can go. Like I said, Denver's defense has been playing pretty well, so I don't. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibilities that they win a low-scoring game. Uh, you know, by forcing Russell Wilson into some mistakes. Um, and at the same time, we've seen 
uh, on occasion that Seattle offense really take off and do some things. So, you know, I'm not expecting them to score 35, 40 points, but <laughs> they have shown in the past that they can. You know, if they come out and hit some big plays early, I think they could, you know, have a big game on offense. They have the capability of doing it. So it's tough. It's a really hard Super Bowl to kind of peg and get a feel for because, um, like you said, it, it sort of feels that way that if it's if it's tight and physical and sort of in the trenches that Seattle would have a big edge and if it's kind of wide open and, and up-tempo and all those sorts of things that Denver would have the edge. But uh, I think both teams are talented enough to win without being exactly in their comfort zone. You know, Seattle fans are going to hate me, and we have a lot of them because we're kind of an unofficial Pearl Jam podcast when we veer into that area <laughs> of uh, of discussion. But I, just the Seahawks team, I, I know they've had a great year, and I know that they're very, very talented, but they wouldn't have won the NFC Championship game if Colin Kaepernick didn't kind of melt down and turn the ball over three times in the fourth quarter and – you know, when it was what sixteen nothing in the Saints game, I'm looking at the stats and it's like we got forty seven more yards than them and it's like if we would just stop shooting ourselves in the foot, this game could be ten to ten or, or whatever, but I, I don't know. I just I, I kind of feel like since night one of this season, when Peyton Manning threw seven touchdown passes and they rolled the defending champions, it just kinda of feels to me like it's just kind of their year at and I guess that doesn't really mean anything in like football analysis sense, but that's just kind of the the sense that I've kind of been getting from the game. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it definitely does have that sense. I, it's kind of interesting that perception of Seattle. I think it's uh, you know to, to some extent it's kind of the curse of teams that have great defenses and sort of live off their defense. I think we saw that with the Ravens. Um. You know, I kind of think to the Rose Bowl matchup this year, Michigan State-Stanford, I think everyone kind of overlooked those teams for a lot of the year and just kept expecting them to lose because you didn't see a lot of firepower necessarily on offense. You know, they weren't putting up 50 points a game and they weren't uh, always blowing teams out. And I think that's just sort of goes hand-in-hand with being a great defensive team is that it it looks a little more difficult, I think, because that's sort of how that's kind of the MO, you know, that's sort of how you play when you have that defensive dominance. So um, for as much as you can say that Kaepernick melted down and he certainly, <laughs> he certainly did the arguments there to make. I mean, I think you also have to credit Seattle for, for forcing him into some of those mistakes. And uh, so I think it's, um, you know, I, I, you don't want to take anything away from the Seattle defense, what they did in that game and what they've done all season. I think that they, in their own way, have been uh, almost as dominant as Denver. Sportscasters here with Chris Burke from Sports Illustrated and the Audible's blog at Chris Burke underscore SI on Twitter. Just a couple quick things before I let you go. Are there any kind of off-the-radar guys that you're kind of looking at and saying if these guys have a big game, this team is going to have a much better chance to win than if this guy just kind of stays in his underrated position? Um, I mean, I think it's it's tough with these teams to find those underrated guys because all the, you know, you look at the offensive weapons, and I think at least on Denver's side, it's all pretty known commodities for the most part. Um, you know, 
Fantasy football is ruining this question, right? (laughs) (laughs) I will say, I mean, I think an X factor that really hasn't been talked about as much as it probably should be is Percy Harvin. Um, You know, (laughs) there's a reason that Seattle went after him as hard as it did and and why he uh, was such a high draft pick. I mean, he's a a game-changing type of talent. So if he's on the field for 60 minutes, uh, it changes things for Seattle's offense. Um, and then for me, defensively, I mean, you think you look at the other guy, we talked about Sherman, you look at the other side of the field and who it's going to end up on, uh, whether if Sherman's on Thomas, you know, who's going to be on Decker and who's going to be on Welker in the slot. I think those are the two huge matchups. Um, you know, they don't have an Antoine Winfield anymore. So, you know, you're putting a lot of pressure on guys like Byron Maxwell to step up and have big games, and, and certainly he's not <laughs> a name like a Richard Sherman. Um, and for the Broncos, you know, the whole offense, like I said, is sort of, it, you sort of know what you're getting there. I mean, I think for them, uh, for them defensively, you probably are going to come down. Uh, the way Seattle plays on offense puts a lot of pressure on the opposing safeties. So I think guys like Mike Adams and Duke Iannaccio, uh, if they don't have good games, if they're you know losing their assignments a lot, they're going to give up some big plays on the ground to Lynch and, and Wilson. So I think that that's kind of the key for them is to make sure that that back end uh, is solid all game. One thing we didn't mention, I think it's a huge, huge day for the refs. I mean, these guys have had yeah. a miserable, miserable season. And uh, I think that they would absolutely love to just get in and get out with as clean of a game as possible. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. The NFL, I mean, the way this year has gone, certainly the fear is that a botched call kind of changes things. Um, so, yeah, I think it's important. And it's a tough matchup for refs because uh, Seattle loves to play physical yep. at the cornerback spot. And Denver, you know, like I mentioned, those tick plays, they run those all the time. They sort of sort of walk the line between what is legal and what is illegal uh, on their route. So it's a definitely going to be one that um, is going to keep the officials on their toes. And, and you know, that's that's a concern heading in, I think, because we haven't really seen anything this year. Uh, to convince us that the officials can adequately handle a game like this, so uh, I, you just hope that it's not. It doesn't come down to that. It's almost like a, a big basketball game where how the officials decide to call it is going to go a long way, and how the game is going to end up being played, even for both teams. You know? Yeah, I think. It, yeah, I think the thing that you want to see more than anything, I think, is just that consistency, which I think is what we talk about, you know, over and over again with officiating. So if they're going to call it tight out of the gate, you want to see them call it tight, even if it means throwing a pass interference flag in the last couple minutes that, you know, puts the team in field goal range to win the game. You want to see it the whole way. You don't want to, you don't want them to decide halfway through the game that they're suddenly going to let a bunch of things go or vice versa, that they're going to start calling everything in the second half. So that, I, Whatever they did go out there, whatever the approach is for the officials, you hope it stays the same. I, my guess is that they they are pretty tight, that they call it pretty strict early on um, and try to keep the game from sort of devolving into just back and forth with you know, the teams uh, 
sort of complaining after every call, every whistle. What can we expect from Audible's blog, and how are you going to be kind of covering this, and kind of what things can we look for here, Super Bowl week, and during the Super Bowl, and maybe the days to follow? Like, what are the plans that you have for your coverage here in the next few days, so everyone knows where to look for it? Uh, yeah, we got myself and Doug Ferraris, the other guy that does audibles with me. So we sort of split up. I've been taking Denver stuff, and he's uh, from Seattle, so he's been just sort of staying with the Seahawks. Um, and we're, uh, we've had a bunch of good stuff already. You know, it's, it's sort of a mix of the X's and O's analysis and some featured stuff. You know, I've got um, a couple things coming before the end of the week, something tomorrow, which uh, Thursday hopefully turns out pretty cool. I had. Uh, Zach Dysert, the third-string quarterback for the Broncos, sort of walked me through the tape of a Peyton Manning pass completion from the AFC Championship game. Um, so that was kind of a cool experience. Hopefully it turns out well on the site. And then, you know, as the game comes, it, it's pretty much back to our normal Sunday routine, you know, pregame stuff and newsworthy notes and things like that. Uh, so, you know, hopefully... There's enough on the Sports Illustrated site and on the MMQB site to keep people busy, but uh, you know, if you did just come to Audible, there should be enough there to get you through the week. Our good friend Chris Burke from the Audible's blog in New York City at the Super Bowl. I think this is at least the third time you've joined us from the site of the Super Bowl. We always appreciate that. Uh, you can find Chris on Twitter at ChrisBurke underscore SI. And, by the way, congratulations on being a new father. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it's my, first, uh, my first time away. Oh, yeah, that, getting some sleep. I've seen some pictures on the uh, Facebook. Looks like you got the Red Wings gear going and watching the yep. game. So you got you got things going right out right out of the gate. So <laughs> congratulations on that. And thank you, thank you, thank you so much again for being a good friend of the show. Sure, thanks for having me. All right, a NFL Super Bowl-related greatest of all time. Don and I picked, carefully picked, three Super Bowl-related categories, and we are going to give you the greatest of all time in that category. Don, kick us off. Okay, uh, we just did the fantasy in a segment of how did this, and I said I was confident that all of our picks would be the same minus the, the bust pick. I am confident that of all the greatest of all times we did, these will be the most argued about. Maybe not as vehemently because some people do really care about their Starburst flavors and their favorite Ninja Turtles. But my answers here are, are going to be uh, very different, I think, than yours. Well, definitely different than yours. But uh, my favorite football movie of all time, I'm going to go with Jerry Maguire. Uh, I'm sure there's a thousand better ones. I'm sure there's some older movies that are people are going to say were better. Longest Yard. Yeah, I mean. But Burt Reynolds one. And you can even argue that Jerry Maguire is barely a football movie, but uh, hey, Die Hard's a Christmas movie. That's right. So I'm. It's my favorite. It's the only one on any list of greatest football movies of all time that I own. Surprised so. you didn't go Little Giants there. I don't Strike own Little Giants. Little Giants. <laughs> all right, my uh, greatest football movie of all time. Really a no-brainer for me. 
the NFL Super Bowl 44 championship DVD, New Orleans Saints. <laughs> <laughs> Easily the greatest NFL movie of all time. And believe it or not, if you go to WBShop.com, you can get it for the glorious price of five five WBShop.com. Yep. Interesting. They had some deals over there. I guess so. Yep. The greatest Super Bowl of all time. I think I know where this is going now. Uh, the greatest Super Bowl of all time for me, uh, I'm going to say the 2000 Super Bowl. That is Super Bowl XXXIV 34, uh, St. Louis and Tennessee. Uh, it's close. It came down to the final play, and the final play wasn't a mistake. That's kind of what, for me, disqualified like the Bills' Super Bowl loss because it was a missed kick or – the Patriots uh, Carolina Super Bowl was really good, but that was kind of marred by the dumb kicker kicking it out of bounds. And the kickoff. do you know the wide receiver who was tackled and who tackled him? Was it Wycheck? No, no, no. That's that's tennis. Uh... Tennessee. That's right. It, was a t- it wasn't a tight end. It was a wide receiver. I he, don't remember. His he name. had a very famous play earlier in the playoff run. No, I don't remember. Kevin Dyson. Okay, and he was tackled by Mike Jones. Mike Jones. All right, but yeah, the one thing I forget about all the time on that play is that would have only set up the game tying extra point. I always, for whatever reason in my head, thought that they scored there and they win that game. But yeah, tackled on the two-yard line by Mike Jones making a play. That's what kind of puts it over. I, I like that more than teams screwing up at the end. The greatest Super Bowl of all time clearly is Super Bowl <laughs> number 44, XLIV. Played in 2010 between the Indianapolis Colts and the New Orleans Saints. It's got everything you want. A one seed versus a one seed. Peyton Manning versus Drew Brees. It had a surprise onside kick. It had the who at halftime. Not that that really adds anything. Nothing against the who, but right. come on. Uh, Tracy Porter's pick six. The dramatic game-changing play. Oh, man, this game had everything. It was a game for the ages. Clearly the greatest Super Bowl of all time. 44. The greatest Super Bowl play of all time, and I'm going to show my age here because I'm sure, again, that people will have some older ones. I'm going to say the David Tyree catch. David Tyree, who's not even in football and is kind of, by all accounts, gone a little bit wacky. Uh, the It just it was an amazing play. They knocked off the 18-0 and 0, uh, Patriots. Patriots, yep. And uh, kind of... It doesn't bother you at all that that play could never be duplicated? Like, is that a positive or negative for that play? I think as far as the greatest play, I think that's uh, that's a positive. Now, the other play I thought of for this was just the most textbook, beautiful play that was, like, all intentional. Like, there's no way David Tyree intentionally caught the ball off his head. Maybe that's what you're going for with that. Like, it was kind of like a fluke-type thing. Uh that throw, and I'm not even a fan of his, but that Roethlisberger made to uh, Santonio Holmes was unreal in that uh, the Arizona Super Bowl. And that Super Bowl might have been the greatest half of a Super Bowl ever for me because I remember watching the first half of it going, boy, this is an absolutely boring Super Bowl. And the second half of that Super Bowl was phenomenal. But as far as... Yeah, as far as greatest plays, I mean, some people are going to say the uh, the Immaculate Reception, which is just... Not as... in the Super Bowl, though. Oh, it wasn't? No, it was in a playoff game. Oh, so okay. So I can't say that. Uh, some other ones, I don't know. There's really only one, one right answer to this. Are you done with yours? Yes. All right, here's my answer for the greatest Super Bowl play of all time. I'm going to say this. Two weeks ago, the Jets, you kept blitzing. 
It costs you. If I was the New Orleans Saints, I would not blitz him. I would put the extra guys in coverage. There was a shocking pick. That was that was a, that was the upset of picks. I think right there. nobody saw that coming, right? No. All right, the greatest Super Bowl of all time is Super Bowl Forty Four. The greatest football movie of all time is the NFL Super Bowl Forty Four Champions New Orleans Saints DVD. And the greatest Super Bowl play of all time is Tracy Porter's pick six over Peyton Manning to seal Super Bowl Forty Four. I like I like your football movie. Uh, mine is Jerry Maguire uh, Super Bowl Thirty Four. And the David Tyree catch in the Giants-New England second Super Bowl. First. First. What was the second one? Why can't I remember the second one? The second one was the one that they won 17-14 maybe. That one was really close too, huh? Yeah, they they just blend together, I guess. All right. All right. (laughs) We'll be right back. Our friend from UB and Sports Illustrated, Richard Deitch, is kind enough to join us for at least the second or third time on the Super Bowl show. What's up, Richard? How are you doing today? I'm good. So I've actually been, I know I've been on at least one Super Bowl show before. I didn't realize I'd been on two. Yeah, I think it's two. I think it was the first one and then the last one. So. I know, I mean, I would. as always with your podcast, I assume that Lee Jenkins holds whatever guest record there would be. Yeah, 15 that, That's times. usually my guess. Yeah. How many times has he been on? He's been on the Super Bowl podcast. Uh, he's never been on the Super Bowl podcast, no. So but how many times has he been a guest? Fifteen. Fifteen. That, I mean, he's. Uh, you know, I'm trying to like you know like it, it's a little sort of dating your time, but like Steve Martin used to be a guest all the time. I think on Carson. I'm trying to think of Letterman's like all time guest, maybe Howard Stern or something like that. But right. uh, that is impressive. Well, you know, every time I think that oh maybe are we overdoing it with him? Then we have a spot like we did last week. And I mentioned this to you on Twitter. I, I don't think you really, you know, wrote back. Yeah, I pick I pick my spots when I'm going to right. respond to you. But uh, I was watching the games uh, last week there, and watching the first game, and thinking, "Oh, Manning, you know, is going to be there." Well, that's got to be great for SI. Who had picked him for Sportsman of the Year, and right, gotten a little little crap for that. And yeah, uh, for sure, fair yeah. criticism, I think too. Right, and then I was like, "Oh yeah, you know, Jenkins wrote that column." And then later when the Sherman thing happened, literally I'm probably one of the few people in America, but literally one of the first things that I thought of was how much I knew about Sherman because Jenkins had written a a cover story about him in July. Hmm. So I said, wow, I got to reach out to him. And it's probably the best spot we ever did with him last week. Number 15, it's got to be the best one. So, you know. Nice. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? Uh, well, yeah, now listen, Lee, he's had, I mean, the guy's an incredibly talented guy, um, and he's had a, you know, I see, like, everybody, like, wants to, like, I, I'm not a fan of, like, hey, let me write a piece on who the best sports writer is in the country, because it's absurd. It's a, it's a totally subjective competition. A lot of it has to do with what you want as a sports writer. I mean, some people like long form. Some people like, you know, short form. Some people like Twitter. So uh, it's all relative, but Lee Jenkins 
week in, week out, or whenever he has written, has just he's really produced great copy throughout the entire year. And actually, I mean, you know, this sort of obviously just goes back for most of his career. But but you make a good point. He he's had two stories on two very signature guys in the NFL that stand out this year. Yeah, and it was really interesting perspective from him. And one thing that I, I mentioned to him and I thought would be perfect to mention to you, and it's really interesting that you said that it was fair criticism that SI got uh, for picking Manning. And this is one thing that Lee and I were kind of throwing around the other day was, okay, so if it's not Manning who, well, let's just say for argument's sake, David Ortiz was the guy that maybe would have appeased more people. And let's say... He, he got it. Let's say it was down to, in a perfect world, it was down to Manning and Ortiz. Right. My question to Lee was, do you think, and maybe this is even a better question for, for you, do you think that if SI in the summer with Verducci had started a sub-website based on Major League Baseball, that the pick would have went to Ortiz as opposed to Manning? No, there's zero shot of that. They, Peyton Manning wasn't picked because Peter King has a website. I'm telling you, that's silly. You could take that to the bank. Do I think Peter King advocated for Peyton Manning? Yeah, I know for a fact he did. Do I think Peyton Manning probably moves a little bit up um, in terms of possible sportsman of the year because he's an NFL player? Probably. I mean, I'd be, I think I'd be foolish to think not. It's the most popular sport in the country. But no, it, it's not... SI doesn't pick Peyton Manning so they can use it as a marketing campaign for the MMQB. Um, that is it, one. Is, I know for a fact it's not true. And two, it, it, it just it would be a ludicrous reason to do it. Um, in terms of the criticism on Manning, you know, it's totally legit. I mean, he had, he's obviously had a great year. He's in the Super Bowl. But um, if you're asking me who I would have picked, and it's uh, again, it's subjective. And I, I don't think the Peyton Manning pick is a bad pick per se. I probably would have done something off the first responders or Boston. But that's a little tricky because you want to make sure that you're not you don't come off to the readers that you're pandering or trying to use tragedy to sell magazines or to sell a brand like Sportsman of the Year. But to me, that I think would have been a really great story and cover, just sort of you know, rewarding all these sort of average citizens or first responding citizens who helped out after this incredibly horrible day in Boston. Um, so that would have been my pick. Doesn't mean it's right. Doesn't mean it's wrong. You know, I know my buddy John Wertheim probably thinks that Rafa Nadal might have been a good pick, and I totally, obviously, would have no argument, or Serena Williams, no argument against that. So every year there's always, you know, seemingly four, five, six candidates. I'll tell you another thing. LeBron James has a total legitimate argument to be sportsman of the year yet again. I mean, guy won. He had a great year. So it's very tough to please everybody. But the one thing... I, I mean, I'm telling you this, and I usually don't do this, 100%. If Tom Berducci started some sub-MMQB site, David Ortiz would not have been Sportsman of the Year. There's no way that would have happened. All right, let's let's uh, let's get back to the, the points at hand. We usually do this spot right around now to talk about kind of the television aspect of what is the spectacle of the Super Bowl. First thing I wanted to ask you, because you're, you're down there, and I know it's a bit early for this yet, but... What do you think about New York and and how it's going to uh, host this thing? New York will be fine. I mean, you know, it's obviously I live here. It's, you know, maybe my favorite city in the world. I'm right up there with Barcelona and Madrid. Um, And the the city is used to holding mega events 
you know, well beyond sports. This place, you know, that holds mega financial conferences and uh, and everything else. So the city will be fine. I mean, the city's gonna be a bit of a mess in that they're gonna shut down some streets in Midtown. So traffic-wise and pain in the butt-wise, it's gonna be a pain for a lot of uh, people who work down here in tourists. But the, but the city will do fine. It's such a humongous city with so many kind of media opportunities that there's gonna be a lot of fun things for people to do. Um, the weather is going to be an issue because it's colder than Miami and it's colder than L.A., so it's not a traditional Super Bowl locale. But New York can handle the Super Bowl. I mean, um, that's, I would think, kind of the last thing people should worry about. Day of the game is different. You know, transportation, traffic, security, et cetera. A lot of that will do with um, – you know, a lot of that's going to have to do with what the weather is, uh, you know, and it looks at least as we're talking on Monday taping that it's going to be a little snowy, but it's not going to be blizzard snowy. So we should get a so we shouldn't have a delay of that game or, or a shift of that game. So New York, I think, will do fine. And then Sunday will be really interesting because, you know, you're going to have a lot of gridlock and security is going to be intense because it is a major city that the, the game is being held in. You know, it's interesting that they held the uh, Yale-Harvard rivalry on ice hockey game in the garden right before just to kind of get a primer of how they might be able to handle things, you know? Yeah, uh, well, yeah. I mean, you know, again, there, there's a lot of – yeah, right. There's a lot – you love uh, mentioning Yale anytime you can. There's a, lot of, um, there's a lot of events this week. There's a UFC card, I think, at Prudential Center. There's obviously hockey games. They just had one yesterday at the, yeah, at the Yankee Stadium. Or, yeah, that was excessive. So it's not just – I mean, Super Bowl week is kind of um, – the centerpiece for a lot of different sports too, um, doing some cool stuff. So um, it's going to be an interesting week in New York. Um, you know, as a fan of the city, I hope we pull it off and I hope it goes fairly smooth. Uh, and the weather's going to be a big factor because everybody's going to be talking about it. And hopefully, it's not too crazy or too cold. And um, and you know, people enjoy what New York is as opposed to sort of complaining about the cold weather that obviously exists in a eastern city. All right, one other thing I wanted to kind of debate with you a little bit, even though you're going to dominate me here with your bigger voice and right. wittier responses. But All right, no, no, enough with the price, please. No, listen, I just totally, totally can't get over the fact that the only reason that Lynch and Burkhardt had that playoff game was because Fox wanted to make it seem like they just made this grandioso hire and look at how this guy we hired – was able to get a playoff game in his first year. I mean, that team is not that great. I mean, I think Lynch is much better than the play-by-play guy. I think Lynch is pretty good. The play-by-play guy screams and yells at me one level less than Gus Johnson. And I just right, well, that, I mean, you're you're you know you're already you're already off the the rails here. Kevin Burkhardt is not screaming like Gus Johnson. That's not the kind of play-by-play person he is. And again, this is all subjective. So if you don't like Kevin Burkhardt, I'm not going to tell you to like him, and I'm not going to tell you he's good. Even again, it's sort of all subjective. But what I can tell you is, Fox thought that they had the best year out of the second teams beyond out of all the teams, I should say, beyond Buck and Aikman, and that's how they generally determine the playoff position. They want to give they want to reward the team that had a really good year and they really liked Burkhardt and Lynch as a team. They liked the individual work both people did. And I have no doubt too that part of it is they probably wanted to do a switch from the you know, the Kenny Albert, uh, Moose Johnson, Tony Saragusa team that generally has been the quote unquote number two for a long time. Billick and Brenneman had a playoff game last year and 
you know, famously, Billick had a terrible fourth quarter, made a lot of mistakes, so that probably hurt their chances for this year. So I don't, I honestly don't think it was that. I don't think it's about, hey, let's justify that we hired Kevin Burkhart. I think it's just management believed they had the best year out of the rest of the groups. You can totally disagree with that, and I wouldn't argue with you. I mean, it's going to be your opinion, but that Fox's management believed that they had the second-best team. And I don't think they would just put those guys on a playoff game. It's such a big, important thing just to, you know, to, like, say, hey, we hired this guy and he's great. I think they put the team on who they believed would do the best game. I mean, to do otherwise would just be bad management, in my opinion. I guess. Maybe I'm too much of a cynic, but I just don't see the uh, see the appeal of, of Burkhardt. I, I think he just he, sh- he just shouts too much, I think. Okay, I mean, I I disagree with you, but that's legit. I mean, you you know you um, you're certainly entitled to that opinion. I think I think Lynch and again, is it's great, just, it's, it's totally it's all anecdotal. I'm only basing this on my Twitter feed and emails to me off the media com. But generally, people have liked them. At the same time, maybe I'm getting overwhelmed by the people who see him on Met games who particularly like him and have reached out to me. But from what I've seen, generally viewers seem to like the guy. That's that's the best I can do there. I was thinking on Sunday that maybe one of the people who had the biggest day, most important days of their career was Phil Sims. Phil Sims, excuse me. He had a horrible Super Bowl. I haven't necessarily sat down to a game that he broadcast and think, yep, this guy's back. And I don't know that he did anything on Sunday to make me think that this really should be the number one guy going forward. Have you heard anything about them potentially shaking up their pairs at all? I mean, are we definitely no, locked n- in there? Not not the number one. Uh, they're, Jim Nance and Phil Sims aren't going anywhere. CBS has invested a lot in that team. They are by far the number one NFL team. Both got, you know, Sims is their number one NFL voice, and Jim Nance is essentially the voice of the network. Nothing is going to change with that team. The big question will be, what happens now that Deardorff retires? Does Gumbel get a partner and sort of continue to be the number two team? Or does the team of Eagle and Fouts move up and Gumbel goes to three? That, that's, I think, pretty much the questions that are going to be um, coming up with with the CBS. But there is no way um, Nance and Sims are getting dropped. I mean, people have bad games, and Sims did not have a good game. But you got to keep in mind, I mean, Sims has been with CBS for, you know, what is it, 15 years? I mean, more than a decade. You're not, you don't just basically... Um, end a guy because he had one bad game. So he, there, there's in the foreseeable future that is your number one CBS team. Nothing's going to change. Goody. Uh that's great. Um, <laughs> I was thinking also about the the uh, shopping of the of the the schedule on Thursday nights. Anything on that? You can you can let us know what's going on there. Is, is it showing that the NFL Network is kind of accepting the fact that? not everyone is going to carry that network or are they just looking to say gain an extra billion dollars by splitting it? Uh, I would say, you know, John O'Ran is much closer to this than me. He's really been out in front of the reporting on this. What the the best I could tell you is I think the NFL obviously wants to get a broadcast partner involved in this Thursday night package. They want ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox. They want the games on there, or at least some of the games on there so they can essentially double their audience. Um, and that's what they're looking for. They're looking for a broadcast partner. They're obviously looking for more money, and they're going to get more money because all these networks want NFL programming. But that's sort of the end game is to how can we promote the Thursday night package to a broadcast audience? And as it looks, the big question will be, 
will the other networks agree to having these games still simulcast on the NFL network while they're on their broadcast network? My guess is they probably will because the NFL has the leverage, but that'll be interesting. So you still, if you want to watch the game on the NFL network, you will. I think the announcers will be from the winning bidder and not the NFL network. Um, so that will be interesting. You'll basically still be able to simulcast it on the NFL network, but I would imagine most of the audience is going to watch on the broadcast network that wins that bid. Um, I wouldn't guess who's going to win the bid. I honestly, I don't really have any insight into it at the moment. I'm not sure um, who's going to win. If I had to guess, I would guess Turner will not win it, and it would be you know ESPN or Fox or NBC. That would just be a guess. But um, but I think that's where we stand now. Sportscasters with our bud Richard Deitch. Few more minutes. Let's talk about the weekend real quick. Earlier in the season, even not even that earlier ago, uh, Aikman and Buck were calling the Saints and Panthers game. Saints had the ball for the last time, driving down the field, and for the whole entire drive, Aikman was discussing how the Saints had set up for a field goal down four, which was really grinding my grinds because, as a Saints fan, that was just bugging me because four wouldn't, you know, they were down four, not three. Uh, and I've heard, you know, some criticisms over Aikman. It, I didn't mean that for this to be like, hey, let's just criticize all the top guys and see what Deutsch thinks about him. But right. uh, more importantly, uh, this weekend for Buck and Aikman, what, what do you expect? Uh, is there anything important? What about those guys calling the Super Bowl this weekend? Yeah, I mean, I, no, I don't think it. I mean, I, this is not a legacy game for them, and and they've. I, you know, I think this is Buck's fourth Super Bowl. It might be Aikman's fourth too. So um, I, I don't expect I, I don't expect any new storylines from them. I think they are experienced Super Bowl game callers. I think if you are those two, you obviously want to be as prepared as possible. You want to call a clean game. You don't want to make mistakes, as Phil Sims did. One of the things that really helps out Fox is that Pereira is in the booth. So when it comes to questionable decisions. Buck and Aikman, referee decisions, Buck and Aikman can get out of the way, and Pereira takes over. That's pretty big. That, that, that means that the perception of a broadcast when it comes to a lot of these decisions on the field, and that referee decisions, a lot of times broadcasters get in trouble, it sort of goes right to Pereira, which, which takes the pressure off Buck and Aikman, which I think is really helpful to them as a broadcaster. So I, I would expect a good, clean game, and you know those who hate Buck and Aikman will continue to hate Buck and Aikman, and those who like Buck and Aikman will continue to like Buck and Aikman, and I think for Fox's sake, you're just hoping that you don't get anything close to what happened last year with CBS. No power outage, no crazy stuff happening like that. Um, although I think they will be more prepared than CBS because they have the benefit of CBS going through it the year before they did. So I think if you're Fox, you really are just rooting for you're rooting for a clean game. You're rooting for a little bit of weather and snow, and you know, obviously, as all these guys root for, you're rooting for a really tight game that ends, uh, you know, in the final couple seconds. So everyone doesn't think I hate everything. I actually like Buck a lot more than most people. I think do. he's I gotten think. a lot better yeah. as a football broadcaster. I think he's 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 improved since he started out in football for sure. Is there anything else uh, this week, television-wise, that you're looking forward to checking out, seeing how it goes, whether it be a pregame spot or something that another network is doing or anything like that? Super Bowl week, television-wise, is where I'll be sitting around watching in the freezing cold across the, the Northeast and most of the country. Anything you want to keep your eyes on? Yeah, I think I'll, I mean, I think I'll be paying attention a, lot, a little bit to Fox Sports 1 and just how much Fox promotes Fox Sports 1 and what Fox Sports 1 has this week because the, the network has the Super Bowl. It's a really big branding opportunity for them to do interesting things on that network. 
So I'll be I'll probably be paying more attention to Fox Sports One this week than I normally would, and hopefully they have some interesting uh, programming. But you know, every network is going to have um, a significant presence here. I wrote, you know, I had a column that posted this week that just basically links to all the press releases that each of the football airing networks have, and you know, they got tonnage of people here. So if you are a football fan, you're going to be overwhelmed by Saturday Sunday with information and every single network has a ton of people in new york so i'm gonna probably just be spinning around different things and listening to uh you know checking out different networks listening to different radio shows just to try to get a feel of how the super bowl is being played um in different uh cities uh which i always find interesting like how they're talking about it in boston versus like how they're talking about it in la that's always interesting to me all right last thing and i'll let you go on this you've spent the year and we've talked about it once or twice doing a lot of really great features for the Monday Morning Quarterback site. Looking back on your first year doing that, how would you kind of critique how it went? Were you very pleased, sort of pleased, a couple of stuff you want to have back? How did you think it went overall, all the things you did for the Monday Morning Quarterback site? I liked it. I, I like working for that site. Uh, one, because King gives people a lot of freedom to do what they want, which is really cool. He uh, he let me uh, or he sent me to um, Cincinnati to follow Hard Knocks around, which was kind of awesome. I never uh, had an opportunity to write about those guys before, so that was really cool. Um, so I like it. Um, I, I guess I like the site because I, I think there's a lot of creative, smart people working at it. Um, I think they really want to provide different things than other sites, which I really like. Not everything's perfect. I kind of wish the design was better, <laughs> to be honest, and our mobile presence was better. So that hopefully will improve as we head forward. But um, but but I I I've enjoyed it. I think the tougher job, to be honest, with you, is going to come in the off season when I got to figure out, um, you know, once the Sochi Olympics are over, what what are I going to be writing about for King Site in March, April, May, June before the games start? That's that's going to sort of be my sort of challenge to figure out how, what can I write that's interesting? Um, what can I write that's interesting about um, NFL media during the, during the, you know, off season, by the way, well, is there, a, there is a dog in the background barking. Yeah. That's my, I mean, this is, this is, I used to think that you, your production quality was network. And now I hear <laughs> dogs in the background. It's incredible. Well, I don't know what to do if Colston is uh, barking at the... Uh, no, I like it. I kind of like it raw. I, I'm a fan of when TV just is not like overproduced and stuff. So um, so I have no problem with dogs barking in the background. I think it's cool. Yeah, we do try to pride ourselves on at least you know keeping a high quality, but I can't muzzle the dog. You know what I mean? I kind of am up to his mercy on what he may or may not bark at. But listen, as someone who talks about all the stuff, could you imagine if a dog was barking during the middle of the Super Bowl and Buck and Aikman's broadcast? You'd go crazy. <laughs> I probably, you're probably right. See, there you go. See, but they have the luxury of budgets and don't have they do. to record Yeah, they would have, do- they would have 20 dog right. catchers there. They would never right. get into the booth. Right. All right. Uh, thank you for this. Uh, and I was going to ask you if there's anything before you, you go that you wanted to pick on us about, but you got that in. So there's no need uh, for that. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, it's the usual Lee Jenkins love fest. And, right. uh, you, know, the, I, I, you know, as for all the people who listen in Buffalo, my old hometown, I am hoping for better days for the Sabres. I don't know the. I don't. I have to admit, I don't know the great juniors in the draft, but I, it looks like they have a shot at getting number one. So I hope there is a. I hope there's a John Tavares like player out there. That that would be really helpful. Did you know that the? I'll even go as far as Sidney Crosby player in juniors is one year away. They're going to miss him by one uh, year. Who yeah, is that? His name is Connor McDavid. 
Yeah, I've heard of this kid. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Oh my, that's infuriating. Yep. Yeah. Although maybe I don't. Know, maybe the Sabers will be that that bad for two years, but that's the kind of you know. I mean, Buffalo has not had that player since you know. I, it's real. Maybe since Perot. I know they. Who's the number one guy that they took in the draft? Who never really turned Turgeon. out to be. Turgeon, Pierre Turgeon. Yeah, Turgeon, right. I mean, he was good. Right. And actually and proved later in his career, but he was not that, you know, he wasn't Crosby, Lemieux, Gretzky, et cetera. Right, but his career you have to look at as the Turgeon part, then the LaFontaine part, because they flipped him for LaFontaine, so. That's true, and Pat LaFontaine was a game changer, but Pat LaFontaine even wasn't number one overall. I think he was three, yeah. if I remember right. But um, that's the kind of player I hope Buffalo fans get. They need they need a offensive, game-changing franchise-like player. Uh, you know, I'm close to Tavares here watching him, so the Islanders still need a lot of help, but that that guy is a franchise player, and that I think that would be huge for the Sabres to sort of get and just sort of rebuild and start with that player. We agree. We agree on that. Well, hopefully, if nothing else, they'll draft somebody, you know, even if it's not, they can't get this um, Connor kid this year, they'll get somebody good with the number one. Yeah, Sammy Reinhardt is the name I'm hearing most. All right, I'll, 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 I'll start looking into that. All right, I'll do thank, my research. Thank you, Richard. All right, thank you. All right, I want to thank all our guests for being a part of the Super Bowl Spectacular and especially want to thank Richard Deitch for making fun of us, as he always does. <laughs> it's always appreciated. Back to the regular stuff next week, and I'm sure we'll talk about the Super Bowl next week, kind of recapping it and, and going over what went down. But in general, next week we're going to kind of get back to normal in the sense of you know covering all kinds of different sports and interviewing different people. Maybe we'll get a... Pearl Jam super fan mixed in at some point uh, yes. in the next couple of weeks to kind of continue that series. But we do have a lot of great things planned. Don gave me a list earlier today of oh, yeah. people and things he'd like to see on the podcast. It was on a scroll. A couple of books he'd like to read. Uh, book Club will be back, obviously. Actually, speaking of Book Club, a couple of our really good friends have books coming out really soon. Uh, Jonah Carey's book on the Montreal Expos is going to be out soon. And Jeff Perlman's book on uh, the Lakers is going to be out really soon. Actually, I think they both come out in March. So March will be a busy month for books. All right, one last thing for me tonight, and it's really a message for President Obama or the next president or whoever listens to this stuff. We've got a lot of holidays that <laughs> fall on some really random days. Like, for whatever reason, Martin Luther King Day was last week, even though I remember hearing a few days before it that his birthday was, you know, a few days before that. Okay. And President's Day is in February to honor Lincoln and Washington's birthday, but it almost never falls on, you know. I think this year it actually is on Washington's birthday. Which okay, is... so for once in a right, right. moon, it's on one of their birthdays. Why can't we move President's Day to the Monday after the Super Bowl? They're both in the same month. Yeah, that's there's no real that's a reason great idea. It's we not, couldn't celebrate the presidents the day after one of the most American days of the year. Right. Right? The Super totally Bowl. Agree. Everyone watches it. Everyone has a party, but the game doesn't start till six thirty. 
And by 9 o'clock, people who have to work up, wake up in the morning for work on Monday, they want to go home, they want to end the party, they want to have enough, they want to watch the second half in pajamas, so then go to bed right, right away after. It makes no sense. Just move President's Day to the day after the Super Bowl. They're in the same month. I almost think this year it's the following Monday. How stupid is that? Yeah, I mean, uh, it wouldn't even be disrespectful to anybody. Like, you don't want to say, let's move Veterans Day to this after this. You know what I mean? Like, who is that disrespecting? I mean, the, the, pres- the president, current president Day, is still alive. You know what I mean? Like, and President's Day is meant to honor all the presidents. It just happens to be in February because that's when Lincoln and Washington's birthday right. happened to be. President's Day could have been in August, which sure. might even be a better de- better idea. So we'd have a day off during the, the summer. summer. Right. But if it has to be in February, do it the day after the Super Bowl, for God's sake. I like it. One last thing for me this week is just about the Super Bowl in general. Um, we talked about the ridiculousness of Media Day, and everything about the Super Bowl is ridiculous, but it's uh, it's ridiculous in a way that is totally American, and it's just fun. If you're gonna, if you don't do a lot on the day, I know, like you said, it sucks having to wake up the next day. It's a cool excuse to have uh, some friends over to hang out to watch bands you would never watch during halftime, so you can make fun of it later on with your friends. It is the most watched sporting event every year. Uh, it's just an event. Uh, it it's really cool. It's American as apple pie, like you said, and there's no bigger reason it should have a holiday. It's great. I I love everything about it, even when I hate the teams in it. Uh, so basically, my last thing is just uh, enjoy your Super Bowl. Yeah.